I'm continuing on with the uh, lessons from the life of David. Today I've entitled my uh, thing Unhappy Families. And see there's a subtitle, Middle East Enders. Um, Play on words there. Last time I spoke, uh, I asked the question, how come God forgave David for the terrible sins he'd committed and yet he rejected Saul for not carrying out his orders exactly to the letter. I concluded that Saul was only sorry for what he'd been caught, caught out doing and he tried to make excuses, whereas David was truly repentant of what he'd done. He asked for forgiveness and he tried to change. God can see our hearts. He could see their hearts beyond what their actions were showing. I don't know if you've taken the time to read through the story of David for yourself, but I have. You'll find some awful storylines in, in there, ones worthy of our current soap operas. It isn't comfortable reading. I know that some of you like programmes like EastEnders. Okay, thank you, Anne. I find them revolting. Um, as soon as I hear that drum roll, I, I, I wake up from my TV slumber and quickly get the remote to, to change channels. All that sort of bickering and infighting doesn't entertain me, but each to your own. Anyway, as I read through 1 and 2 Samuel, I noticed some repeating patterns. There were some themes there. And one of them was that people didn't seem to learn from the mistakes that either their father or their predecessors had made. One thing that keeps on repeating itself is that fathers don't necessarily produce good sons. We've just been singing about good, good father. We'll get to that at the end, but thankfully we have a good heavenly father, but you may not have had a good father, and there are plenty of bad fathers in the, in the Old Testament. Um, could I find right? One of the big stories uh, in, at the beginning of Samuel uh, and you were probably taught it in Sunday school, is of the young boy in the temple, and he gets to hear God actually calling out to him. He's woken in the middle of the night, hearing an audible voice, and it's only eventually Eli, his mentor, realises that it's God calling out to him. Now that bit is taught, as an emphasis on that. What isn't so uh, taught so much is that the message that, Dave, uh, that Samuel even was given. It was a message telling him that Eli's two sons weren't following their father's good example. They were assisting him in the temple. Uh, he was the nation's lead, leader at the time. Eli can't be held responsible for the sins of his sons, Phineas and Hophni, but where he did fail, was that he didn't stop them from doing what they were doing. He allowed them to carry on in their corruption. It doesn't say anywhere that he tried to stop them or correct them. Thankfully, God had a plan well before the time they had to be removed, and he'd been given a stepson in the form of Samuel to take over from him, somebody who could be a godly leader after Eli's time had finished. Power is a real test of our character. Power can corrupt a child or a parent or, a, or anyone. It can corrupt leaders. 
People very often misuse their authority for personal gain. Thankfully, in this church, we don't have leaders like that. They don't manipulate us or control us for selfish reasons. So thank you, Mark and Jill. Thank you, Mark and Chris. Hopefully you'll hear this, Chris, at a later date. Thank you for what you do. You're not building your own little kingdoms. You're, you're having a Christ-like attitude of servant leadership. Bless you for what you're doing. You may have heard of the horrible stories in the, in the press about a guy in Africa called T.B. Joshua. He's an awful, manipulative, selfish man who faked miracles. He raped women who were serving him and he got to have abortions when they got pregnant. He basically set up his own little kingdom for his own benefit and using the, God, uh, using the name of God to promote his authority. He may have escaped justice on this earth, but we know that he had to stand before God and answer for what he'd done. He would have been condemned for the evil that he did and he put a bad slur on God's good name. He was not following Jesus' example. If you ever see pastors or leaders uh, who are manipulative or controlling, then my advice is to get out of that church as quickly as possible. I don't find it here, but I have met uh, a pastor who talked to me in a very controlling way that made me feel uncomfortable. And eventually that guy ended up in prison for misusing his position. So thank you, our leaders, for faithfully serving us. It takes real character to carry on serving others and not using your position for selfish gain. So thank you guys for what you do for us. Please pray for our leaders. So going back to Samuel. You would have thought that getting this audible message from God uh, as a young boy about wayward sons would have stuck in his mind, as he, and especially as he brought up sons of his own. But being a godly person doesn't mean that you have godly sons. It doesn't always work out that way. You can't blame Samuel for, not, uh, for, for wayward sons, but he didn't do... He didn't do what he should have done as a father. Samuel and Eli both seem to have blind spots where their children are concerned. Were they so busy uh, running the nation that they were absent fathers? don't really know. I'm going to read to you a passage from 1 Samuel 8 where it talks about Samuel's uh, ending. So this is 1 Samuel 8. It says, When Samuel grew old... He appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served in Beersheba, Beersheba even. But his sons didn't follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, 
Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king that the, what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Eli and Samuel were godly men who led Israel to the best of their ability. They sought God to guide them, but they both failed to raise disciplined sons who could carry on with the work that they did. Samuel handled rejection pretty well in this bit here. Next time I speak... I'm going to talk about rejection because there are lots of uh, episodes of rejection as you go through this part of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. I'll talk about that next time. So after the story of Samuel, we begin the story of Saul. Saul was a reluctant king and he had a fragile ego. He started off well while he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit but then he ultimately failed because he chose to do things his own way rather than following the Holy Spirit. He used his own strength and did what he thought best, did what other people wanted him to do. Again, I'll talk about more about this next time I speak. But today I'm going to concentrate on families. One area where Saul is commendable is that he had a noble son, Jonathan. It's Jonathan that's the one person who could have easily become jealous of David because David was really his rival. Jonathan was in line to become the next king and yet God chose David to be the next king, not Jonathan. But Jonathan, bless him, was content to just let God do what God uh, had in mind. Now let's move on to the story of David himself who we've been concentrating on for the last uh, month or two. David may have been a godly man in so many ways, but he made some pretty bad mistakes too. Whenever you find polygamy, which is multiple wives in the Bible, you'll always find a dysfunctional family. God, his original intention, intention was that man should have one wife and woman should have one husband. God gave Eve to, to Adam and one wife. One husband, one wife is enough. Everything else is complicated. Yeah, and trouble. Sticking by one selfish, irritable spouse is hard enough and it takes character and determination. Your spouse will irritate you. It's guaranteed. But in this throwaway age, stick with your marriage and work through the problems if you can. They will come in, problems will come to any relationship. But when both partners continue to invest in a relationship, marriage is a great blessing. It's God's design and it can be beautiful. Those who have fun together will stay together, as you can see here. I thank God for my irritating wife and I, and I hopefully my irritating wife 
thanks God for her irritating husband. (laughs) As I said, as you read through 1 Samuel, 2 2 Samuel, you'll find some very uncomfortable tales in there. Do you know how uh, how David even paid for his first wife? Saul, in one of his first attempts to kill David, said that he could marry his daughter on the condition that he got him 100 foreskins, Philistine foreskins. And David, in his eagerness to, to please Saul, didn't just get 100, he got 200 Philistine foreskins for him. We have a nice picture here, just so you can imagine it. It says that David counted them out one by one for Saul to see. I'm sure, uh, thankfully, nowadays this uh, idea of a wedding gift hasn't caught on because I don't think it would just be a blushing bride. Anyway, let's move on. There are very revolting subplots as we read through David's story. Mankind is selfish and fallen. And stories like this show us how there's always hope for the likes of you and me. We're all fallen humans. David may have been a great king, but he was a poor father. He raised a dysfunctional family. David had numerous children from his many wives and concubines. David had half a dozen wives, plus a harem of women. And that would never lead to a happy family. You may get a sexually satisfied man, but it just creates complicated families that will lead to jealousy, envy and rivalry. And these are all evident in David's family. Like Samuel and Eli, David's failing as a father was to not discipline his children, even when it was, he was obviously aware of their misbehaviour. David didn't seem to have the heart to do anything about, the, about what was wrong about them. Did he not care? Or did he, did, did he not like telling them off? We don't know. In the summer, we heard a sermon about sloth. You can sit, yes, there's a little slide there with some things about sloth. Something that struck me about this sermon that we heard is that a man... Who, is, who stays late at work to avoid going home to a, a frustrating family, to a frustrated wife, and uh, uh, is actually being slothful. If he stays at work because it's easier at work than at, than at home, then that is sloth. Sloth is taking the easy option. It's always very appealing. And I, I would like an easy life, but I don't get it. And if I choose it over what God wants me to do, then I'm being slothful. David had multiple wives and concubines, but that didn't stop him for looking for pleasure elsewhere. He stole the pretty Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. Now David's eldest son, Amnon, was watching his father's bad example, and then he did something similar. Amnon burnt with lust for his beautiful stepsister, who was called Tamar, and then he raped her. 
Apparently David was very angry, but we don't hear of him doing anything about it. So Tamar's brother, full brother, murdered his older brother Amnon. So now we've got, we've got uh, a family murdering each other. We've got half-brothers and sisters raping each other. This is David's family. After uh, Absalom killed his brother, he was banished from the kingdom from a while, for a while. But David soon welcomed him back to Israel before we hear of any remorse from Absalom. This family was a mess. Avoiding to discipline Absalom eventually led to a rebellion because Absalom couldn't wait to gain power for himself. He was prepared to kick his own father off the throne and he didn't care what danger he put his own father through to get what he wanted. And David just seemed to let him do it. Children will always push at barriers and they're often reassured if they find that they're still there. But we give our children boundaries not to close them in or to keep them under our control. Ultimately, we try to help them to develop self-discipline. We must seek God's wisdom for the, to finding the right barriers. You have to select them very carefully. Spoilt children are not nice to watch, but neither are downtrodden children. We need wisdom and, above all, love to raise children in our families. So David made some really serious mistakes. He didn't raise a happy family, and yet this is the family that God chose to bring the Messiah into the world, to bring Jesus. Amazing? Amazingly, the Messiah line was probably from the most unlikely of David's wives, Bathsheba. Solomon was Bathsheba's son. Thankfully, God is a redeemer. He uses frail, selfish, stupid creatures like you and me to carry out his purposes. With God, there is always hope. There are many unlikely characters in the genealogy which brought us Jesus. If you thought that David had a troublesome family, then his son Solomon, the wise, the wise Solomon, had 700 wives. What do you do with 700 wives? It's, it's a, just a recipe for disaster. I don't think his brain was in his head. It was somewhere else. But it ultimately led to disaster. God can use anyone and redeem every situation. Remember Joseph, the guy who had a pretty coat. He honestly said to his brothers, you intended me harm, but God has turned it for our benefit. God redeems. Now you may look at Sue and me. You look at our two lovely children and their beautiful families. Thankfully, we did manage to raise two noble characters who are a credit to us. I'm very proud of my daughter and my son. It's a fact that I was a good father to them in many ways, but I also made mistakes, like any father will. I'm human. There's an even bigger but. I mustn't stand up here puffed in pride and congratulate myself. 
I have to acknowledge God's grace to my family in all of this. You can tell a child about God, you can show them your faith, but I can see how easily circumstances conspire to lead children into not following into your faith. It's just not that simple. It's God's grace that both my children are good characters and that both of them are Christians. I thank God for it rather than puffing up with pride. Ultimately, it was their choice to follow on in my faith. I did do well because I partnered with God and he showed me, he showed me wisdom. Charles Spurgeon said, train a child in the way that he should go, but make sure that you go that way too. Thankfully, my children have followed on to Sue and me. Parenting is one of the most difficult jobs on this planet and we must ask God for wisdom, patience and love. I'm now on the less difficult journey of grandfather, but I still pray for God's grace to do that role to the best of my ability. You may not be a parent, but you are a member of a family in one way or another. Your upbringing may not have been ideal. All families have failings because we're all selfish by nature. We have to fight against the basic instinct towards selfishness to make our families work best. God is a communal being. He's the Holy Trinity. And mankind made in God's image works best in community. And the basic building block that God gave us is a family. Family is supposed to be a united unit which supports and helps each other through the trials of life. Having a stable, loving family is one of the best gifts you can ever be given and it's something that we should treasure. As you've seen, that even flawed characters in our family, God uses to redeem a situation and heal damage done by a dysfunctional family. Jesus' heritage shows us that God can use characters who are far from ideal. The Bible isn't a collection of fairy tales. The families don't live happily ever after. But God can sidestep man's flaws and redeem. What Satan intended for harm, God uses to make things work out for bettering our characters. Include God and you're much more likely to succeed in your family. You will make mistakes, but hopefully uh, you'll be able to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance to make the best of your natural ability. If you have made mistakes, then please try to learn from them and ask God to redeem the situation. Also, it's important to forgive those who failed you. Getting bitter about it will only harm you. It won't harm them, ultimately. Remember that God redeems. He can turn bad things around for our good. God is the one who creates light from darkness. So please don't live in the past. God has a bright future that he wants and intends for you. You may have heard of the phrase, you can't polish a turd. Well, I know a God that can. If your family is a mess, then bring your family to the mess ire. Ask God 
to turn your mess into a message and a message that can speak to others. So now we've got some questions. So obviously our early years and our past can be a sensitive topic. Some of you may want private prayer later on. And please be gentle with each other as you're answering questions. Be considerate in your small group. No one's obliged to share anything if you don't wish to. Allow people to be quiet if they want to. But these are the questions I've got. So describe something about your family that you're thankful for. And then, does this talk give you hope? And if so, why? And then, can you share family stories where you can see that God was helping you? Please pray for each other, for wisdom, patience, to be loving members of the families that we belong to.